0: Thank you, Lord God, that you are here and you are fighting for people. And you, there is no, there is no war that you will fight that you will lose. And as I ask you today, I, I pray for an anointing of champions. I don't know what that means, but that's what I'm asking you for. And I ask, Lord God, that you raise up men, women, and children to fight for men, women, and children today. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys can have a seat. Uh, I haven't spoken in like two weeks. I feel like you guys have gotten used to shorter messages and getting out of here closer to 11. And I need you to get rid of that idea. That's crazy. <laughs> Starting a new series today on Elijah. And... Uh, Man, you guys ever seen that movie Braveheart? I mean, it's kind of a guy movie, I know, but there's this Mel Gibson scene, and and uh, the his his army, you know, this ragtag bunch of ordinary guys on one side, and all the powers of Britain on the other side. And he says to, and please forgive me, absolutely ruining the Scottish accent, but he says to his 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 guys that are close to him. He says, "I'm going to pick a fight. I want to pick a fight." Just, you know, every now and then I get a reminder of just how how much is at stake every Sunday. And you just, you just never know when, when the person you're sitting next to or the person that you've seen a hundred times or the person that's new is in their last fight. And, and today is make or break when uh we we took a, a vacation a couple weeks ago we went went to Florida. God gives them better weather i don 't know if you knew that or not, but uh, <laughs> I know He loves us, but He gives them better weather so i 'm not sure what that 's about but uh, yeah we 're tough <laughs> they also get hurricanes. yeah well that 's true. they get hurricanes that 's true, but anyway, we went to this church and i mean it, they had a, it, it was it was kind of it was kind of fun you know they had, they had all professional musicians and they called themselves the Rock and Roll Church. It was a, a Christian assembly church, and they did. They had amazing music. They had a saxophone player I wanted to pack in my suitcase and bring back. And uh, it was great. And then, then the, the pa- the, one of the pastors got up and he spoke, and, and uh, I, I know he meant well, but he kind of wasted 20 minutes. It was fluff. And uh, it broke my heart because you just never know what's happening in the hearts and minds in the room that we're together in. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this is why worship, it's one of the key reasons that worship's so important. Where, like, when we sing and do the songs, even if you don't like to sing, do something, you know, clap, stomp, shake. You're like, no, no, I can't shake. Oh, go ahead. It's okay. We'll laugh. <laughs> something. Why? Because there's a battle going on during worship every week. Every week there's a battle going on. You may know about You may not. Some of you have been in that season. You've been in a tough time. And it was in the music session that it kind of peeled away your defenses enough so you could actually hear what God had to say. So you have to remember that. Every week when we worship, we're not just singing. We're fighting. Okay? That being said, we're looking at a guy in this series uh, that was an ordinary guy. And I know you, we don't really think of Elijah as an ordinary guy, but he really was. And I'll show you why in just a minute. In fact, uh, James uh, you know, said it himself. He said... Elijah, as a human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly, the rain would not fall. None fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky went, sent down rain, and the earth began to to yield its crops. So Elijah was a guy just like us that God used in a mighty way at a very, very important time. You see, the nation of Israel is the nation we talk about. Anytime you study the Bible, we're typically talking about them or somebody who persecuted them. And the nation of Israel was a nation that was founded on God. I mean, literally founded on God the Father, Jehovah, Yahweh. And and so they were founded on Him. And and so that was their beginning with Abraham and, and on through the ages. And now at this point in history as we turn into 1 uh, 1 Kings 16-17 and today which is where the series primarily comes from um, you you encounter a nation that has they haven't just lost their way they abandoned their foundation if you want to know what that's like uh, go home today get a shovel and dig out from around the foundation of your house and get the water hose and hook it to the water spigot and run it into that trench and just turn it on and go about your day. Please don't do this. (laughs) It won't be long. Not today, but over time. It won't be long. Your foundation will erode. That thing you never see, that thing you never think about in your house, that foundation will erode. You'll be going into your kids' room. By the way, do this outside one of your kids' rooms because you don't want to deal with the fallout. They do a lot of things that you have to deal with so this is something you could do for them. Well, you go in, and pretty soon the drywall will have a big crack in it. You go, hmm, I wonder how that happened. You'll you'll go to shut a door, and it won't shut because it's warped. What's happening? Well, your foundation is eroding. You can't destroy the foundation, and the house remains secure. You can't abandon the God you started with, and the nation remains secure. It stands for Israel. It might stand for another country you know and love. So it's interesting because in those times of a nation in real trouble, the nation of Israel, God raised up champions. And almost always, they were just ordinary people. This is, there's a lot to love about the Old Testament. For some reason, the Old Testament scares people. But there is so much to actually love about it. One of my favorites, of course, I love Elijah. I mean, he had a pretty flashy thing go on. One of my favorites is Amos. He was a persimmon picker. I always wanted to be a persimmon picker. I'm not even sure what a persimmon is, but, you know, it just sounds funny to say it, you know. So what do you do for a living? I pick persimmons. What was happening in the nation of Israel was you had two spirits and a truth going on. Two spirits and a truth. The first spirit was the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel was legendarily evil. I mean, she was so evil that she has epitomized evil to this day. People still use her name to capture the concepts of evil. She was aggressively evil. She worshipped a demon. She literally worshipped a demon. She loved it. She loved being evil. She loved ruining people's lives. She was assertively and aggressively evil. And the spirit of Jezebel, which was aggressive, was married to a spirit of Ahab who was a passive. Ahab was the king. He actually had the authority in the kingdom. He could have stopped the evil of Jezebel at any moment, but he chose rather to let her lead, to follow and empower her evil. I have a friend, Pastor Paul Gilbert of Grace Church in Buffalo. He says that the spirit of Jezebel cannot thrive without the spirit of Ahab, and I tend to agree with him. That it takes a passive spirit to allow an aggressive spirit to thrive. Creates an evil synergy or discord, if you will. So so as we get into 1 Kings chapter 16, you find out about Jezebel. You find out about Ahab, who is the most evil king in Israel's history up to that point. There were worse ones coming, believe it or not. But up to that point, he was the worst. And then you have this really weird story that... If you were just reading the Bible chronologically, it would not make a lot of sense, and it's the story of Jericho. You see, in Joshua uh, chapter 3 or 4, I can't remember exactly which one off the top of my head, Joshua wipes out Jericho, and he pronounces the curse. And the curse is this, if anyone ever rebuilds the city, uh, their firstborn child, their oldest son, will die at the setting of its foundations, and their youngest will die at the establishment of the final gates. That was the curse. And so in, uh, in Jericho, in 1 Kings 16, while the Bible is telling us the story of Ahab and Jezebel, it pops in this little window of the time that the city of Jericho was rebuilt. And in that story, you'll find out uh, that a guy whose name means... It's in my notes somewhere, and uh, I've already lost it. Hang on, come back. His name meant God lives. The guy who rebuilt Jericho's name meant... God lives. His oldest son, his name meant my father is exalted. And his youngest son, his name meant exalted. And his oldest son died when they started construction. And his youngest son died when they finished. Why? Why is that there? Well, one, it's there because it happened during Ahab's reign. The second reason it's there is because God is teaching the nation of Israel a truth. And it's simply this. You cannot deny God's word and God's truth. You have a spirit of Jezebel, who's aggressively evil. You have a spirit of Ahab, who's passively evil. And you have the truth of Jericho, which is this. God's word stands. Whatever morons are in power, doesn't matter. God's word stands. And so, Israel needed champions. And Rock Springs needs them too. The Bible says in Corinthians, it says that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. God has historically forged ordinary people into champions. Hollywood always forges demigods into champions. They walk out on the screen of the movie or the theater, and they're big and they're strong, and you're like, well, of course they're the hero. But God finds little scrawny Elijahs. Or John the Baptist. Uh, finds, finds women that no one will give any credit to or notice. God finds these ordinary people that no one else gives any credit to, and he turns them into champions. Some of the greatest, most, most strongest Christians. I know that grammar didn't work, but still. Some of the strongest Christians I know are people that to look at, you would not know that. You would not think that they were heavenly heroes. They are, and we need more of them. Right. We need more men, women, and children. Yep. Teenagers, kids. Ain't no junior Holy Spirit, man. That's right. God's powerful in you just like He is in anybody else. Lord Jesus was 12 years old teaching the scribes and Pharisees in the temple. Age is just a number. We need champions. So today we look at a guy whose name means God is Jehovah. That's what Elijah means. God is Jehovah. And God is Jehovah is dealing with Jezebel. That means her God's Baal. So now Elijah was born from Tishbe and Gilead. He told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, this is 1 Kings 6, 17. I don't know if anybody knew who Elijah was in 1 Kings 17. All you know is you got this guy who's from the wilderness, probably smells funny, probably dresses weird, and he stands before Ahab and he says, Ahab, there's not going to be any rain. But what we miss is, we hear that there's not going to be rain, but what we miss is the, the precursor, the, the prelim. He says, as surely as God lives. You see, he's, he's talking to a nation who switched gods. Abandon the God of their foundation to pursue another kind of God, a God that was evil and wicked, to be honest, but to pursue another kind of God. And so here Elijah, who who's, our God lives, says, as surely as God lives, there's not going to be any rain. <clears throat> Excuse me. I bet they had a good laugh. Who's this guy? I mean, seriously, what would you say if someone said to you, I mean, of course, we're in Rock Springs, we're used to not raining, maybe if you live somewhere else, but it's not going to rain until I say so. You'd laugh. And, and where is Tishby anyway? Tishbe is like the superior Wyoming of Israel. I mean, no offense against Superior, it's a great town, it has a very colorful history, yes, and if you're from there, I love you, I love Superior, please don't egg my house. Um <clears throat> But the the point is, we don't even know where Tishbe is today. I mean, archaeologically, we have no idea where that town is because it's just a little small spot in the road. And so here's this guy no one knows and and from a place that no one cares about. And he's saying, hey, as surely as God lives, it's not going to rain. And and so I I think what everybody missed was that as surely as God lives part. So Elijah stood up and he did what God told him to do. And so let's start with that thought for you and for me. Maybe you, maybe you are the next Elijah in some partment of your life, compartment of your life. Maybe it's going to be you. Maybe you as a student will stand up in the halls of your school or in your class. And you'll be the one who stands for purity and for hope. Maybe it's you as a business person who leads a business and is, has influence in this community. Maybe it's you who will take a stand for integrity in business. I believe God's about to invade the marketplace personally. I just think that Christians in the marketplace is, is, a, neck, is a coming wave of awakening. Yeah. Let's receive that. <laughs> Maybe it'll be you among your friends and your peers that will take a stand and will do something that's inconvenient Costly. See, that's what the enemy does. He, he makes it inconvenient for us to stand up for our faith. He makes it costly in some way. And at first it's just a little bit costly, but we surrender and then the cost begins to increase exponentially. But the way the kingdom works, the way God planned it is, is that you and I would begin to stand up and begin to make stands in our community and do things that are hard. So, as soon as Elijah got known, noticed, the crackpot who said it wasn't going to rain, it's funny because as soon as he said that, and at first I bet everyone says, Who's Elijah? Who cares? And then it didn't rain. Then a month it didn't rain. Didn't rain all spring. Didn't rain all summer. Didn't rain in the fall. No rain in the winter. and did, We are a year in, 18 months, two years, two and a half years, three years in. No rain. Now everybody knew who Elijah was. The nut job who said it wasn't going to rain, it hasn't rained. But they were mad at him because it didn't rain. They weren't, they never connected with them that were worshiping Baal. That the precursor to it not raining was that the God of Israel lives. The God of Israel lives. That's why it didn't rain. So as soon as Elijah made the declaration, the Bible says, 1 Kings 17, the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. God sent Elijah into hiding, but into a valley. God sent him into a valley. What is it with God and the wilderness? I don't get it, man. Every time I turn around, God's sending somebody to the wilderness. He sent the nation of Israel to the wilderness. He sent Elijah to the wilderness. He sent his son to the wilderness. He sent Paul into Arabia. John the Baptist was called out of the wilderness. Over and over, you have the seminary of the wilderness in play. And it seems like people learn things in the wilderness. The nation of Israel was supposed to learn freedom, but I don't think they passed the final exam. God's son, Jesus, he went in the wilderness, and he came out in power. He... He he learned how to win. Paul learned how to be the apostle that would change the world in the wilderness. John the Baptist learned how that the kingdom would change everything and that he would be the least of of everything once the, the new kingdom was established. Oh, David, he spent his time out in the wilderness. He learned how to overcome enemies as a shepherd boy out there. God sends people. I wonder why. I actually don't wonder why I have an answer in my notes, but I just thought I'd make it dramatic. (laughs) Here's why. Ready? It's a big one. Because we're broken. We're a room full of broken people. That person you're sitting next to or across the room from, and you look at them and go, man, they've got it figured out. They don't. They may have a thing or two figured out. And so we're broken people. And, and here's the thing, and I don't know if this will encourage you or not, but here's the reality. Today we're talking about Elijah in Wilderness 101. The last sermon in the series, we'll talk about Elijah in the Wilderness 201. You see, because working out of, coming, getting free of our wounds and our brokenness and our past comes in levels and layers. And so Elijah finds himself in the wilderness, the seminary of the wilderness. Guys, we all have pain. Everyone in this room has things that they've suffered through. We all have some brokenness. We all have a deep aloneness within us that, that we need saved within and from. We all have these kinds of things. Now, what, what was Elijah's goals in the wilderness? That's, that's the American way, right? you got to have goals. My goal is not to die until it's time. That's all I want to go. No, I'm just kidding. Kirith means uh, torrent. It means cutting, actually. So, as, as you kind of study the words around Kirith Brook, you, you find out that we live in a place where God gives us a perfect illustration of Kirith Brook. You go out north of town and you see Bitter Creek cutting through the valley floor. It is a jagged, violent, chaotic cut through the valley floor around Rock Springs. Bitter Creek. What a wonderful name for a crick. I've never drank out of it. <laughs> just just sometimes you look at things and you know that ain't right and so that's bitter crick. <laughs> that's a perfect analogy of Elijah's situation. Elijah is in the bitter crick of Israel. It's a it's a it's a river valley cut through the, a river stream cut through the valley floor. And, and God brings him there because Elijah, Elijah needs some healing. Elijah needs some restoration. He needs some things broken off of his life. You see, the wilderness is where slaves die and sons are born. And some of you are in a wilderness right now. You're walking through this cutting valley that's been washed out by years of pain, suffering, torrents, floods, and just normal rains. And as you walk through that place, there's a part of you that has to cease. There's a part of you that has to stop. So that the part that God put in you, the rebirth, the born again part of you, the son of God, the daughter of God, that can live. You've got to shed this husk of this dead flesh so you can walk in the power of the kingdom from which you're from. The family that you're a part of. That's what the wilderness is about. It's about putting to death the old you. It's about the slave Ending, And you can't escape this. You can prolong it. As Israel demonstrated quite obviously, an 18-month journey turned into 40 years. Because they didn't want to let go of the slave. And so, everyone suffers pain. But champions rise out of isolation and pain. Champions rise out of it. And and here's the good news. It don't have to be pretty. Crawling out of that desert restored from your brokenness is way better than walking out still broken. It doesn't have to be pretty, but you just got to hang on sometimes. You got to put in another day. wait another, go another session. God has some deep healing for you and for me. God's going to heal you from stuff that you don't even know you're broken in yet. Yeah. That's, that's why the Bible says that it's by his stripes we are healed. When you signed on for salvation, when you said, yes, that's a great deal. I, I want everything Jesus has. When you, you signed on for healing and restoration as well. Yeah. You have to remember this. And what you need to understand is that God has to take you through the places that broke you to restore you from those places. And in those places, God raises up sons and kings and queens and powerful people. And so God raises up champions out of isolation and pain. Many years ago, I've, I've had several of these valleys myself um, because I rode the short bus to school and I'm a slow learner. Uh, no offense there, just funny. Um, Years, several years ago, and I've told the story before, but let me share it again because it bears repeating. Um, I, I, I stepped out of the ministry because I was hurt and mad, and all the stuff we do when we're not, I don't know, we just have things to learn. Sometimes the door into the valley is through our own mistakes, and sometimes it's through calling. And so when I was in that season of my life, I really felt like I was in a wilderness, man. And I was, I, I thought about, the only time in my life I thought about a tattoo. And you're like, why is that? Do you have something against tattoos? I'm like, no, I don't have anything against tattoos. I have something against pain. <laughs> I don't care about your tats. You're tougher than me. That's all I'm saying, okay? I'm a wimp. But at this time, at that time, I thought about it because actually at that time I was in pain. <laughs> and a part of me wanted to stay there. A part of me wanted to stay there. So I had this cool idea for tat, man. I was going to have it put on my arm and it was going to say exile in Hebrew. That's what it was going to say cuz that's what I felt like. And I thought I didn't want to forget that part. Now, I'm glad I didn't. Because what I would have done is I would have turned a season of my life that I was struggling into a name tag. So, so I didn't. Because I'm not an exile. The exile died in the wilderness. I'm a son. And God walked me into a whole new season of my ministry and my life through that time. What am I trying to say to you? Don't quit. Don't give up. I don't care what you're looking at today. I don't care where you're at in the valley. I mean, I do care. But what I'm saying is, put in another day. Finish today. Wake up tomorrow. Go at it again. Don't quit. I don't care what it is. It's a valley. Party is going to die there so that the best of you can walk out of there alive. That's right. Okay? Champions are raised up out of isolation and pain. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. Does anyone else know how funny that is? Eat what the ravens bring you. Anyone ever had a raven bring you something? Where I come from, they steal stuff, mainly corn and whatever they can find. Bring what the, eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. You see, champions rise up out of those wildernesses, and champions learn to depend on God. You see, you have this this battle, if you will, between Elijah and Jezebel. Jezebel's people, man, they don't worship God. They worship Baal. They were all about the party. They were, I'm not kidding. And, and the party was particularly brutal and vile, but they were all about it. And a lot of people are about the party even today. The party, the revelry, the lust, the escape, anything that feels good in the moment because when this moment's over, there'll always be another moment. But then you find out, one day you wake up and you find out that the party is a trap. And that all the while, the party's been sucking the life out of you and stealing your energy and destroying your integrity and identity. Party steals a lot of things. And you have to remember that. And I know many of you have children and friends who've struggled in different areas of their life and, and you fight for them in whatever ways you can. And let me just say to you if you are in that zone right now, you're in the party, lust will never satisfy. Lust will never get you love. In fact, the enemy always promises you the one thing he's stealing from you while he's making the promise. And lust will turn you into a user who gets used. Lust will turn you into a user who gets used. Don't fall for it. The party's about that. The party's about escape. That's the world today. Uh, Escape. We go to our jobs, we do whatever we have to do in life, and then we escape into our Netflix binges, into our games, into whatever season of neglect. The problem with escape is that success and victory in life come through focus, not neglect. You'll wind up in a place where you're oblivious to the most important things. The party robs you of that focus. The escape robs you of that focus and that investment. It puts you in a place where people are taking from you rather than building you and encouraging you. See, that's what the church is supposed to do. That's ecclesia. We build and give. Everything else takes and strips and uses. And so, champions learn that there's no value in the party. Champions learn that God provides. Ravens don't bring food. They steal food unless God tells ravens to bring food. Yeah. I, what I think is funny, I think there's a joke here. I, I, think there's a, I think God has an amazing sense of humor, and I think I'm proof of that. <laughs> in that, here, he's, God has brought this drought. And by the way, the drought was not God's punishment on the nation of Israel so they would turn back to God. The drought was just saying, hey, if you don't want to worship me as your true God, then I'm just going to stop blessing you for three and a half years. That's all. It wasn't a punishment. It was just, hey, let me show you what your God can do. Nothing. (laughs) He can't even get the ground wet, all right? And so... God withheld the blessing because the Bible says he reigns on the just and the unjust. So God withheld the blessing upon his people so they would understand that God lives and that Baal is nothing. Baal's not a god. Baal's just a demon pretending to be a god. And so Elijah learned how to depend on God, eating from from ravens who brought him food. So if you feel cut off in your life, if you feel like you're in this valley and maybe you're the beginning or the end, what do I need to learn here? Just like the nation of Israel in the wilderness, it's time to learn to depend on God. Depend on God. God is your answer. God is your provider. It's His providence that we need. This is what you have to embrace. You don't need to win the lottery. You don't need your husband slash wife to change. You don't need your kids to just straighten up. Whatever it is you think you need right now, that's not what you need. What you need is a provider of a God who is alive, who lives by His own power. You need to learn to depend upon God. Simple. Champions learn to depend upon God, and champions learn to obey God. Now, hear me out. Uh, what's the Bible say? First Kings seventeen seven. After a while, the brook dried up. There was no rainfall anywhere in the land. And the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Funny thing is, the widow didn't know, by the way. You should know that. He instructed a widow who did not get the memo. So I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I felt like it was time. Sorry. Uh, The point is this. You know, he's in the valley, and even the valley's drying up. Even the valley's getting worse. And so God sends him somewhere. Someone not necessarily friendly to Israelites, by the way, or to Jews. God sends him somewhere, and he goes. Because this is what following God's about. This is what depending upon God is about. This is what being a Christian is about. It's about obeying God. And you're like, why? Why obey God? Will God bless me if I obey Him? Will it somehow make me worthy for God to answer my prayers if I obey Him? No. No, it will not. You obeying God will not up you in God's viewpoint one iota. Jesus created your standing with God, not you. What does obedience do? Makes you a genius. It makes you a genius. What do you mean, Michael? Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He knows. He made it. He knows how it works. He designed marriage. He knows how it works. He designed relationships. He knows how it works. So when you say, okay, I'm going to do what God says, you just stepped into genius land because now you are listening to the one who knows. Obedience is not about worth or earning anything. It's about being a genius because the Holy Spirit knows all he's better than Google. And uh, he will not uh, put you in any jail or anything like that. He knows and tells you how life works. This is what obedience looks like. John 14, 21, Jesus said, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each and every one of them. There is a a lie that just fills Christendom today that God's grace is a license to do what you want. And it's not. It's not that at all. God's grace is the power to do what's right. That's what grace is for. Grace is empowering. Yes, does grace forgive you? Yeah. Oh, yes. In fact, what real Christianity looks like is is I see people, and I see this all the time, they're trying to follow God, they're trying to do the right thing, they're trying to, to learn, and they don't understand the power of grace yet, so there's a lot of effort in that. And so they try, and they fail. And they get up, and they try again, and they fail and they try, you know, they fail. You know, the differences between a believer and a non believer is the believer keeps getting up. Just keeps getting up and keeps pressing into it. Believe them. And what they will eventually learn as they grow, as they get through what I call Romans 7, they find out it's not my effort, it's not my strength, it's God's grace, God's power that makes me do righteous things. That's how it works. Then this is what loving God looks like. A faith that doesn't care about obedience is not a faith. Not trying to give you a left hook or anything, but I just, a lot of people struggle with their faith in God, but they never actually do what he says. That's not faith. That's you trying religion. Okay, shake that off. That's a broken thing. Religion doesn't work. What works is a real, live, living, breathing connection with a God who loves you, Amen. who seeks you out and empowers you. Does that make sense? As we learn, walk out of those valleys, we learn to depend, obey God, we learn to depend upon God. And so I would argue that maybe your next breakthrough in your life is your next step of obedience. That's right. <laughs> Man, those steps of obedience are tough. They really, I'll never forget when my wife and I started giving. Like he got around to giving. Yeah, write it down. (laughs) We were so broke when we started giving. We started, we start. we, we grew up, I grew up in the Baptist church. We were in a Southern Baptist church. So they didn't call it giving. They called it tithing and it meant 10%. And there was like, there was, they were just like, just give 10%. There was no, uh, like, I don't know, beginner's class, where you start at 1% or something like that. There was no class, hey, you know, if you can be happy, give a dollar, give a dollar. There was none of that. There was like 10%, okay? And so uh, that's what we did, man. We, had, we, were, we financially did not have enough money to make it. There was too much month at the end of the money as the old country song goes, all right? And my 100% was not getting there. My 100% was falling about a week and a half short. And every month we were just getting further and further behind. And I bet I'm not the only one who's lived that story. And amen. And so I got uh, under conviction. God got a hold of me. W- wife and I get together. We started giving. And we started at the big one zero, man. We're, that's, we didn't know that you could do anything else. And so we did. Within six months... Our finances had totally turned around, paid off everything. God did like 150% of what my 100% could do. Your next step of obedience is probably your next breakthrough. The next time, and maybe it's something else in your life. Maybe it's not giving. Maybe it's serving, finding... You know, I, I realize serving God, it's one of those things that what we try to do is, okay, if I have some extra time here, if I have some extra time there, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll serve in kids' church or I'll help down the community center or the soup kitchen or I'll help John set up on Saturday. If, if, I, if as soon as I have a little extra time, then you never have it. That's right. You never have. Do you know how you end up serving? You, you block it off on your calendar, just like every other thing that's important. Yep. And you, you just start serving. And then when people come up and say, hey, let's go hit a golf ball. You just say, well, I'll go right after I get done with this serving. Something I get to do for Jesus. I mean, He died on the cross for me. So, sitting in a nursery, setting up some chairs, feeding some people. So it seems like a small thing. Something I get to do. I don't know what God's bugging you about. I know what it's like when God's bugging me about something, though. I know all about that. I know the tension. I I call it, transition, the the transition space where it's a little chaotic and you're really not sure, your next breakthrough is probably as soon as you say yes to whatever he's bugging you about. And that will level you up and that will bring up another champion. Champions learn to depend on God. They learn to obey God. And I'm talking to a room full of champions right now. Man, I don't know in the natural what things are going to look like over the next 5, 10, 20 years, but I know in the spiritual what they're going to look like, and it's this God is raising up a Joshua generation to go to war for men, women, and children and save them from the judgment that comes. I know that's what's happening. God's raising them up now. And that's people like you and people who are you. You are a champion. So one more story. I don't know how I'm doing on time, and I don't actually care. So if you get done before me, I understand. <laughs> I, I've shared the story before, but I, it's just, I need to do it today. You see, the, the woman said to Elijah, the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God. Now I know for sure that you are a man of God. I've talked to you many times that you can read the Bible, but you have to hear it. For it to reveal things. So, uh, a few years ago, Carrie Cobb um, invited me to a conference in northern Missouri. And unlike me, I agreed to go. <clears throat> I go to church every Sunday. So when you invite me to go to church more, mm, I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> so, Michael, that's awful. I'm just telling you how it is, man. So, um. said... So he invited me. Now, here's it. Gary, Gary grew up United Pentecostal, flaming United Pentecostal, <laughs> flaming. Gary does not have a discomfort zone. Uh, he doesn't have one. I mean, it doesn't matter to him, man. You could show up running the aisles swinging ban- uh, banjos. I was going to say tambourines, but obviously my southern kicked in, and I'm thinking <laughs> banjos, but... And he would be okay with that. You could throw off your shoes, and whatever you could, amen, raise your hand. He does not have a discomfort zone. I have a lot of them. <laughs> I have a bunch. And so I went to this conference pretty much not knowing what I was getting into. But God knew. <laughs> God knew. And so I went, and, and we were running late. We finally got in there for the first session that evening. We come in in the middle of the worship service, the first set of music, walk in. And I, I probably wasn't there 10 minutes. We were singing, and this black lady comes up behind me and puts her hand on me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we don't do this where I come from. And she said, I can still hear it. I wrote it down. It's in a journal. She said, oh, man of God. I know you don't understand what that meant to me. I did not come to ministry the normal way. I didn't go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. I didn't get trained to think like everyone else thinks. I came up through business, hard work, school of hard knocks, school colors black and blue. That's how I came. I struggle with being called pastor because I don't feel worthy of the name. And this lady who I'd never met in my life did not know me from Adam, walked up within 10 minutes of being a worship service, put her hand on me, said, oh man of God. And then she began to tell me that God was about to bring me an Aaron and a her to hold up my arms. I had been leading worship for 18 months and teaching every week at that point in time. I was so tired. I did not, I was exhausted to my soul. And this woman lays her hands on me and says, oh man of God, and I knew in that moment that God saw me he knew me by the way within 8 months Steve and Becky were on the field and that is another miraculous story that you, I will tell you one day maybe I should let Steve tell it From I'll tell it one Sunday let him tell it the next and then, let me then let Becky and Christy tell it and that'll be <laughs> this plan for lunch at the church that day why am I telling you all this man of God Woman of God, child of God. Stop letting the enemy tell you you're less than you are. Stop stop living in in this, this place of defeat, in this valley that's meant to make you, not break you. In this place where you're feeling crushed and you're at the point where you want to give up and you feel like you've made all these mistakes. Well, now it's time to rise up your head and realize that God is raising a son or a daughter out of this place. Yes. man woman child of god i'm going to ask you first of all i ask you three questions today and this is my conclusion my close one if you've never placed your faith in jesus christ as your savior if you never repented confessed your sins repented of them and declared jesus as lord of your life today we have talked about a god who lives and i would love for him to be yours And we're going to worship in a minute, and I'm going to be at the tables, and if if I can get some folks to help me pray, I'm going to be right over here, and we we will walk you through, or we'll just pray with you. But please make Jesus your Lord and God your Father today. Some of you need that, and some of you need to learn to trust God. I know He does not work on your calendar, and I know He does not know the numbers in your checkbook. And it sometimes seems like he's not listening when you're trying to get him to fix your spouse or your kids or your boss or your politicians. But you can count on him. That's right. I promise you that whatever chaos you're in right now will settle into dust in a few years and your God will still remain. That's right. So surrender to him, obey him. Depend upon Him. Learn to trust God today as your provider and learn to trust God as your Father. Today, take the next step and tell somebody. (laughs) That's the hard part. But that's why we have to confess to each other. That's why we come alongside each other. Have someone in your faith circle, your small group, this church, and say, hey, God's calling me to do this. I'm going to do it. So we can be praying. By the way... did I mention we'll be over there while we're singing, praying, lifting you up? There isn't anyone in this room that's ever taken a step of faith with God that doesn't know how difficult it is. And I should warn you, as soon as you do, things typically get worse. Say, yes. so why is that? Well, because there is a war going on. And there's, there are people that the enemy's trying to destroy, and you're one of them. And so, yes, things will get, Elijah stands up, he obeys, says God lives, no rain, and he has to run in the wilderness. Then he comes back, we'll talk about this next week, and they have this big victory, then he ends up back in the wilderness. This is how things go. Your faith isn't in your circumstances. That's right. Your faith is in God. Let's pray. Worship team. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this amazing story. Love, love, I love these real People. That you just fill your word with and fill with your word. I pray for courage to fill this place. I pray for an anointing of champion. I pray that because of what you've done today, that victories will be won in businesses, in school, in schools, in classrooms, in recreational groups, in ministry or, or volunteer groups. I pray that among friends and peers, men, women, and children, rise up for other men, women, and children and depend upon God and obey God and walk out of their valley in victory and in power. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.